0: Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Good. Raise your hand if you like Christmas. Christmas is fun, right? Get to open up presents, celebrate Jesus' birth. Raise your hand if you like Easter. Easter's fun. We just had Easter not too long ago, right? Easter's fun too. We have Easter egg hunts and Easter baskets and all sorts of fun things. Raise your hand if you like Pentecost. Maybe we should come up with some fun things for kids to do around Pentecost so that they remember it better, right? Today we're going to talk about Pentecost and how cool Pentecost is. And that's why I brought this candle down. Everybody knows what's on top of this candle, right? Fire. Fire. And fire is hot, right? Fire is hot. This is called a tongue of fire. No blowing it out, please. This is a tongue of fire. And the reason I wanted to show you that is because that's what's on my stole today. You see that? These are little tongues of fire fire. In, in the book of Acts, we just heard that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and was poured out on Jesus' disciples, and little tongues of fire appeared on their heads. And I don't know if it looked like this, or if it was a little bigger, or if it looked like this, but long story short, it looked like there was fire on their heads, and they started talking, sharing God's word, and an amazing thing happened. People who spoke other languages heard them speaking in their own language. And this teaches us something very important about what Pentecost is all about. Every year at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. God the Father made a promise. He made a promise to send the world, all humans, from sin. And he promised to do that by sending a Savior. Christmas is the celebration of God the Father's promise being kept. And on Easter, we celebrate the fact that God's promised Savior, Jesus, finished all the work that God sent him to to do, living a perfect life, paying for our sins on the cross, and defeating death forever. But now, on Pentecost, we celebrate the work of God the Holy Spirit who works through God's word and makes sure that God's word is poured out on all people throughout the world. God's word is preached in every language. God's word is there for you and me to read in the Bible for us to learn more about what God promised and God's promise is kept in Jesus. Today we celebrate God's word. We celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit through God's word as he has poured, poured out on us assuring us that Jesus has forgiven our sins and that death is not the end, pointing us always to the crucified and risen Jesus, our Savior and our King. Let's ask God to bless us as we focus on the work of the Holy Spirit today. Heavenly Father, in our culture, we have wonderful memories of Christmas and Easter. We look forward to them every year. We ask that you would help us look forward to the day of celebration where we celebrate the work of your Holy Spirit through your word. If it was not for his work, we would not know about Christmas. We would not know about Easter. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for him working faith in our hearts, showing us what Jesus did for us and for all. We pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's Word that we will focus our attention on this morning is the same sermon text used by the Apostle Peter as he preached that first Pentecost sermon. Today we focus our attention on the words from the prophet Joel, chapter 2. God says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion... And in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer, Amen. A little over a year had passed since Moses had led the Israelites up out of Egypt with God's mighty power as they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground with a a wall of water on their left and on their right. And Moses was having a hard day. If any of you have been blessed to have any number of children in your home for any number of time, you know what whining sounds like. Moses, on this particular day, felt as though he had two million children who were all whining at the exact same time, and it was too much for him to handle. See, God had done a miraculous thing every single day. The Israelites would wake up, and there would be manna. What is it? right? That first day in the desert when they were hungry, and God provided them with this miraculous food. What is it, they said. We don't know. Manna literally means, what is it? And that name stuck. Manna, this bread from heaven, this miraculous meal that they were eating day after day after day. You can imagine a little over a year what the complaints were about. They were sick of the food. They were sick of eating the same thing every day. And they were thinking back to their time in Egypt. I want to read you just a little bit of their whining from Numbers chapter 11. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They were looking back on all sorts of wonderful food that they enjoyed. But now it's just the same thing. And Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord is angry with the people for their complaining over this miraculous provision that they're receiving every day. Moses is frustrated. He says, Lord, I can't handle it. They're not my children. Why do I have to deal with them? Just take me now. I don't want to deal with these people anymore. And the Lord says, okay, you need some help. Go get 70 of the old fellows from the camp. Have them come to the tent of meeting. I'm going to take a portion of the power of my spirit that rests on you, and I'm going to put it on these 70 elders, and they will help you. And so that's what they do. They go and get 70 elders from the camp, they bring them to the tent of meeting, and the Lord does exactly what he promises. He takes a portion of the power of his spirit that rests on Moses, the prophet. And he puts that portion of the power of his spirit on the 70 elders. And they begin to prophesy. This is an amazing thing. But then something else happens. From the camp of two million whining children comes a young man running with a news. News of something bad that's happening. Moses, Eldad, and Medad are prophesying in the camp. This might not sound like a big deal to you, but it was a big deal. There were two other older fellas who, for whatever reason, were not in the group of 70. They were prophesying in the camp, and God, in his infinite wisdom, put his spirit on them too. And they started prophesying, and people are freaking out. Joshua, the same Joshua who has a book of the Bible named after him, who who followed Moses in leading the people of Israel after Moses died, listen to what Joshua says. Moses, my Lord, stop them! Listen to what Moses says. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. It's a little insight into how people viewed prophecy. People in Moses' day, if they wanted to know what the Lord said, they would go to Moses. He was the prophet that the Lord spoke through. He was the prophet who the Lord made promises through and then he'd keep promises and he'd make a promise and he'd keep a promise. And that's how you knew if the prophet was actually from God or not. Did what they say come true? Did, did the Lord do what they said was going to happen? And so now, okay, we can accept that there's going to be 70 more to help Moses because they were formally brought in and God said he was going to put his spirit on them and he did. But we don't know anything about these two other guys. They, don't, they should not be prophesying. And they view this as a problem. This is not how God works. But Moses has this this somewhat shocking prayer. It's what I'm hoping you get out of this, is that this is is different. This is not the norm. This is not how God had been working. Moses wishes that God would pour out his spirit on all people, that they could all be prophets. This is important to understanding the book of Joel because the, the prophecy that you just heard Come from the prophet Joel's lips about seven, eight hundred years after Moses is basically the same prayer, only this time instead of the prayer of the prophet, it's a promise of God. It's a promise of God that he would pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What? Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants probably better translated slaves. Not translated slaves because of our American history with slavery and where that takes people's minds. But servants, slaves, people who would have been considered the lowliest of the low, God says even on them, both the male servants and the female servants, I'm going to pour out my spirit on every one. And where I want you to start this morning is understanding how shocking of a prophecy this would have been to God's people. This is crazy. This is not how God works. And yet he promises he's going to pour out his spirit on everyone. Now, we don't know a lot about the prophet Joel. A lot of times when these prophets begin their their work, there's a reference to some kings who were serving in their day. It helps us figure out about when they lived and when they served. We know when the prophet Isaiah lived and served. We we know when the prophet Jeremiah lived and served. We're not 100% sure as to when Joel lived and served because we don't get that reference of the kings who were serving during the time when he served. But we do have a number of Israel's enemies, enemy nations listed throughout the book of Joel. And as we identify who they are, And as we follow through Israelite history and we see when those nations were mostly the enemies, we get a pretty good idea. So most scholars think that Joel was one of the earlier prophets, around 800 B.C., 830 to 800 B.C. This would have been about 150 years after the prophet King David lived and ruled, about the time of Elijah and Elisha, give or take, and the prophet Joel is a very short book. You could go home and read the whole thing in about 10 minutes. It's three chapters, about six pages in my Bible. And he comes with this message of repentance, which is pretty common for God's prophets. But there's something kind of unique about Joel. God sends the prophet Joel to the, the people of Judah with a warning about an invading army. But it's not a warning about the Assyrians or the Babylonians like we're used to hearing. It's a warning about an invading army of locusts. And I did a little research this week to to try to better understand what this is like. And if you search the internet, you will find that in the last year, some of the most destructive locust plagues of the last century have, have, have taken place in Eastern Africa and in East Asia Billions, trillions of locusts can hatch at the same time on the boundary of the desert and populated areas. And the first thing they do is look for anything green. And when you have a nation that relies on agriculture to feed millions upon millions of people, it is catastrophic. As this wave, this swarm, this cloud of locusts off in the distance descends on a town, on a nation, they can wipe out crops that would feed millions in a matter of days. And God comes to his people and says, because of your sin, watch out, there is an army of locusts coming. Destruction is on the way. And when people hear about pending destruction, it's not that unreasonable for them to say, woe is me, tear their clothes. I can't believe this is happening. With an earthly focus on the destruction. That's why in Joel chapter 2, before our text, we hear these words. Rend your heart and not your garments. That's really deep. God is saying, as you hear this news of impending destruction, don't throw up your hands and tear your clothes and say, woe are we, these people who are about to be destroyed and lose everything we have. He says, no, tear your hearts open. Tear your hearts open and find the sin inside that is causing me to send these locusts in the first place. Find that. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. The prophet Joel came with a message, a message of warning. Who's basically saying to the people of Israel, it's the beginning of the end. We are going to be destroyed and our sins are the cause. Rend your hearts wide. Lay your sins at the feet of a merciful God. Perhaps he will turn and bless us instead of destroying us. And that's when God makes this promise. This seemingly crazy promise to pour out his spirit on all people. Not, not to pour it out on one, but on all. It's a promise that we ultimately see fulfilled on Pentecost when God makes it clear that his word is about to go out to the whole world in every single language. That he's not going to just pour it out drip by drip, but he's going to pour it out a tidal wave of his spirit over the whole world, sharing the message of peace with God through the crucified and risen Christ. But it comes with a warning. This this message, it echoes the message of Joel. God is basically saying, when you see this sign fulfilled... When you see my spirit poured out on all people, it is the beginning of the end and there will be other signs in the world around you to show you that it is the beginning of the end. They're terrifying signs. Listen to them again. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is more a a scene from a movie than from reality. But if you're walking down a hallway and there's a closet door that's closed and all of a sudden a pool of blood comes out under the door, what's that a sign of? Death behind the door, right? Are there signs of death in the world around us? Yeah, all around. There's news of murders, there's news of diseases. There's news of all sorts of catastrophes that take the life of humans, things that might lead us to fear our own death. It's all around. COVID is just one example. There will be signs of death. And what are fire and, and billows of smoke signs of, if you wake up in the morning and go out on your deck with a, a hot cup of coffee and you look off to the, to the south or to the east or whatever way your deck faces and you see a big column of smoke rising, House on fire? Something's on fire? Something's being destroyed? These are all signs of death and destruction. God says, When I pour out my spirit on all people, there will be signs of death and destruction all around. These are signs of the beginning of the end. That the end is near. When you see them, you may be tempted to tear your clothes say, "Who are we? Everything's falling apart. We're going to lose everything. We might even lose our lives." God says, "No. Don't focus on earthly loss when you see these signs. Tear open your heart. Repent. Find the sins inside your heart and lay them at the foot of the cross of God's one and only Son. Repent, for the end is near." The day of judgment is is coming and it's coming soon. These signs, all fulfilled, are signs of the end. This is why God's word matters. We're not only facing the reality of our own death someday. We're facing the reality of the death of all things, of the end of all things of this world, infested by sin since the fall, being destroyed. And through the prophet Joel, God tells his church exactly what to look for, what the signs of the beginning of the end are, and they have all been fulfilled. Every single one of them, and they continue around us daily. And that's why the pouring out of the Spirit, the celebration of Pentecost, is so very important. In these last days, God has changed his method of delivery. He does not stick one prophet in a church he does not stick one prophet in a community. He does not stick one prophet in a nation. He pours out his spirit through his word on all people. Your sons and daughters are prophets. Anyone who can open up the word and read it is a prophet. Anyone who can come and sit at the feet of a preacher and hear God's word preached is a prophet. Anyone who can hear God's word, is having God's word poured on them, his Holy Spirit poured out on them, and what God's word says matters. It tells us why we don't need to fear the blood and the fire and the billows of smoke. It tells us why we don't need to fear this great and dreadful day of the Lord, this day of judgment and destruction, because the Father's promises have been fulfilled in the Son. The Son has completed the Father's plan of salvation in full. And the Holy Spirit does his work every single day and will continue to until Judgment Day. And so leave here today confident in your salvation, celebrating the work of God the Holy Spirit because it's because of the work of God the Holy Spirit that you know of Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promises It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit that you know Jesus is your Savior from sin and your Savior from sin because he is the Savior of the world. You are prophets. God has poured out his Spirit on us all. We have his word. We have peace with God. You have nothing to fear. Happy Pentecost. Amen.